Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. Well, we are in part two of this semester talking about the process of purpose. Somebody say the process of purpose. Pastor Bobby kicked it off last week. Who enjoyed last week's message from Pastor Bobby? Wasn't that incredible? And we are studying and taking a look at the life of the Apostle Paul. For those that don't know, the Apostle Paul is responsible for writing 13 books in the New Testament. And he's actually the first missionary to travel and to spread the gospel. And before he's known as Paul the Apostle, he's known as Saul from Tarshish. He was literally a killer of Christians. But God used him as a pioneer to establish and build the early church. Who knows? Only God can do something like that in somebody's heart. Only by the grace and mercy of God. So we're going to be taking a look at scripture. If you don't mind standing to your feet this morning, we're going to be taking a look at Acts chapter 22, verse 4 through 16. Anybody ready for the word? Come on, y'all. Hey, this is a place where you can respond to the preaching and teaching of God's word. And we're going to be taking a look at the moment in Paul's life where he has an encounter with the Lord on the Damascus Road. And we're actually going to be taking a look at this time because this moment right here, if it wasn't for that Damascus Road moment, his life wouldn't be what it is today. His trajectory of his life changed by one encounter with God. And he's actually given this account in Acts chapter 22 to a group of Jews that just had him arrested for preaching the gospel. So imagine him giving this testimony to a group of people that just had him arrested because they don't agree with the Jesus or believe in the Jesus that he believes in. So he's given this testimony. How many people know that there is power in the word of your testimony? We, we come against the enemy by the blood of the lamb and by the word of your testimony. I'm telling you, every one of you, you have a testimony. You have a story, and God wants to use it to bring him glory. Amen? Let's read it in Acts chapter 22, verse 4 through 16. There's a number of verses here, so thank you for your patience. Thank you for standing as we read it. Let's read this out, his testimony. And I persecuted the followers of the way. That was the other name for the followers of Jesus before they were called Christians hounding some to death, arresting both men and women, and throwing them in prison. The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so. For I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring the followers of the way from there to Jerusalem, in chains to be punished. As I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the Nazarene, the one you are persecuting. The people with me saw the light, but didn't understand the voice speaking to me. And I asked, what should I do, Lord? I love that. He hears Jesus and he says, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told everything you are to do. I was blinded by the intense light and had to be led by the hand to Damascus by my companions. And a man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. He came and stood beside me and said, Brother Paul, regain your sight. And at that very moment, I could see him. Then he told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and see the righteous one and hear him speak. For you are to be a witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. What are you waiting for? 
get up and be baptized. Isn't that a powerful moment? Ananias tells the Apostle Paul, after the Apostle Paul puts his faith and trust in Jesus, he says, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. I want to insert a shameless plug real quick to anybody in this building who hasn't yet been water baptized. I want to encourage you, don't hesitate or wait any longer to be water baptized. Sign up today. Come talk to me at the end of service. Go to the Connectioner. Water baptism is a time where we make a public declaration about a new association in Jesus Christ. And who knows, Jesus Christ went public for us on the cross over 2,000 years ago. And through water baptism, we have an opportunity to go public for him. I like to say it like this. Jesus did not die for you publicly for you to live for him privately. I want to encourage you to get water baptized. Then it ends with this. It says, have, you, have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord, Jesus. The title for today's message is this, Caught in the Crossroads. Caught in the Crossroads. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for bringing us together this morning. Your word says that your mercies are new every morning. I thank you for just being with us, and I thank you for speaking through your word. Right now in this moment, we set our hearts, we set our meditations on you, Jesus. We have our hearts open to receive. Let us walk out different than the way that we came in. This is all about you, Jesus. You will get the glory out of all this in Jesus' mighty name. And if you believe that, can you say amen? Come on, say amen. Go ahead and give God a shout of praise right now if you love him. Now, before you take a seat, turn to the person next to you and say, let's get to work this morning. Let's get to work this morning. I have a number of things that God has impressed on my heart over the past month that I'm excited to, uh, to share with my church family, and I pray that it's a blessing to you. As many of you are aware, Victoria is commonly called the crossroads uh, because we are conveniently located uh, about two hours away from four major cities, Houston, Austin, San Antonio, and Corpus, right? And I'm thankful that we are placed where we are, and I think it's awesome because if we ever want to do something that Victoria doesn't offer or Victoria doesn't provide, which it doesn't provide a lot, we can take a day trip to go to a place out of town to have some good food, to hang out, have fun with the family for the weekend, or whatever. Um, and we have multiple options to choose, choose from. But I don't want to bash Victoria because I love Victoria. I'm thankful that I was born and raised in Victoria. Do we have any people in here that have been born and raised in Victoria? And I know that Victoria isn't huge, but I, I believe that Victoria is a great place to raise a family because Victoria isn't like massive with like all the highways and overpasses and everything. But Victoria isn't like too small either, right? In fact, a number of people in the surrounding county or areas will come and travel to Victoria uh, to go to the malls to experience different things that we have. In fact, there are a number of people here at this church that travel an hour, 45 minutes away in different areas in Edna and Inez and further past. Come on, do we have any people in here from out of town? I don't know. And I'm, that's amazing. I was talking to somebody 
this past Thursday or, or past uh, Saturday, uh, who was at worship practice, and he, I had asked him, hey, how far do you travel to get here for worship practice? He said, I live about 45 minutes away. And I was like, dude, you're incredible, man. You're awesome, man. I'm like five or ten minutes down the street. Well, it was five, and then, you know, that middle thing in the road came. Now it's like ten. I'm sitting at some lights. Like this morning, it was taking forever, and I was being told, like, you know, if you scoot up a little bit, maybe there's a sensor, but, dude, I scooted up real close, and, like, it was just taking forever, Okay. But the reason Victoria has grown to the size that it is today, because it's not like really small, but it's not like huge, is because if you study the history, it's pretty interesting. Many people from centuries past were attracted to Victoria. They immigrated here. They moved here uh, because they were attracted to the crossroads. Uh, They were attracted to even the trading. And something similar could be said about the city of Damascus. In fact, in biblical times, Damascus was a leading uh, commercial and transportation center. And get this, the city of Damascus actually laid at a crossroads between two major international highways. So Damascus was known as a crossroads. And Damascus was about a six-day journey on foot from Jerusalem. And the Apostle Paul was heading there from Jerusalem to Damascus to capture, to kill, to gather Christians, to get them in chains to where they would eventually be punished. He's trying to go and capture and get Christians. And it's on this road and in this city that one of the most prolific orators and authors, the Apostle Paul, finds himself caught at a different type of crossroads where he has to make a decision after he has an encounter with Jesus to either follow after Jesus or continue to run away from Jesus, uh, to remain the persecutor or to become the persecuted, uh, to remain a Christian slayer or to become a demon slayer. To, to remain Saul from Tarshish or, or become Paul the Apostle. And this would be one of the toughest decisions that the Apostle Paul would ever have to make in his life, like Pastor Bobby talked about last week, talking about our life before Christ. Because by saying yes to Jesus, the Apostle Paul would leave his former life behind, give up everything to follow after Jesus. He would lose his worldly influence, his worldly renown, his notoriety, and get this, even his He finds himself at a crossroads, and I'm reminded of the words of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 through 14, where Jesus tells us to enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many people enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to eternal life, and only a few find it. For the Apostle Paul, for you and for me, Jesus is that gate. Jesus is that road. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And in one encounter, in one moment, the Apostle Paul has his whole life and legacy turned around for the good where he went from a murderer to becoming a missionary. And as I think of that story, only God could do that. I'm reminded of a a story of a Christian man by the name of Alfred Nobel. Somebody say Alfred Nobel. Alfred Nobel was born in the early 1800s, and he is known for the invention of dynamite. And he would sell that dynamite to several different countries and nations, and multiple nations and groups of people actually used that dynamite to kill a lot of people. They used it for the wrong reasons. And one day, Alfred was doing what he normally did in the morning, and by this time, it was the late 1800s, and he was in his late 60s. And he was eating breakfast in his kitchen. He was looking at the morning newspaper. And as he's reading the morning newspaper, by this time, 
He's very wealthy, very well known. He's reading the newspaper. He gets to the obituary section. And when he gets to the obituary section, he notices that his name is written in the obituary section. But yet he's still living and breathing. So he's trying to figure out how his name is written there. And get this, a week beforehand, what had happened was his brother had passed away, and the newspaper made a mistake by writing Alfred's name rather than his brother's name. And not only did the newspaper mix up the names, but right there next to Alfred's name, these words were written. They said, the merchant of death is finally dead. Alfred will forever be remembered as the merchant of death. And in that moment, Alfred was beginning to see what people would remember him as once he passed away and died. Even though he was still living and breathing, he was seeing the legacy that he would be leaving behind. So he contacted his attorney, and he actually contemplated suing the newspaper for defamation of character, but then it dawned on him. They were right. He left a lot of destruction and chaos in his wake. So instead of him suing the newspaper, he decided, get this, to change his legacy. And during the last 10 years of Alfred Nobel's life, he opened up a trust fund. And he put all the money into that trust fund that he had made from selling dynamite. And he said these words. He said, every year, I want to be remembered as someone who brought peace into this world rather than destruction. So I'm going to name this trust fund after my last name, Nobel. And not only that, but every year, I'm going to give an award to someone uh, that, has some, that has done something peaceful for this planet. And I'm going to name that award the Nobel Peace Prize. And get this. Here we are hundreds of years later. People every year are receiving this award that's given to them for something peaceful that they have done for this planet. And it all came from a man who one day decided to change his legacy. And on the tombstone of Alfred Nobel, he wrote these words. He said, every man ought to have a chance to correct his obituary midstream and write a new one. And when I think of Alfred Nobel, I think of that quote, and I think of Saul becoming Paul. I believe there's something that we can learn from those stories, and it's this. You may not be able to determine the legacy that you receive, but you can determine the legacy that you leave. The Apostle Paul did not decide or choose to be born the way that he was born into the family that he was born into, a Roman citizen and also a full-blooded Jew. He was educated by the best minds of that time. He didn't choose to be growing, growing up the way that he grew up. And in his mind, get this, he thought by killing Christians, he was actually doing the will of God. As Hitler was to the Jews, so was the Apostle Paul to the Christians. But in one encounter, in one moment, God turned his legacy around for the good. And I came to tell you today, you may not be able to decide the family that you're born into. You grow up around the people that are around you. You may not be able to determine to determine the legacy that you receive, but you can determine the legacy that you leave. I don't care if you grew up in a family that struggled and battled with alcohol and drug and prescription pill addiction. That same cycle of addiction can stop with you and your family and your children. You may have grown up in a family that lived in poverty and struggled to meet the bills, but that doesn't have to be the the same for you and your family. You can be a blessing to other people. You may have grown up in a family that had certain prejudices or hatreds towards different groups of people that didn't even look like them, but that doesn't 
doesn't mean that you have to carry that same hatred with you as you grow older. Oh, come on, somebody. You may have grown up in a family that didn't believe in the existence of God. They weren't pers- uh, passionate about God. They may have never went to church at all, but here you are today with your family member, with your sp- spouse, with your children. I came to tell you today, I feel God's presence. God can break whatever chains or generational curses that may be over your life. And I don't care what failures or shortcomings may have occurred in your life, whether it was your fault or whether it was somebody else's fault, whether you lied, whether you stole, whether you cheated, whether you're going through an addiction, you can change, you can be different, God can turn things around, you can go down the right road, you can, res- you can leave a different legacy behind. You can leave a different legacy behind. And for the Apostle Paul, all it took was one encounter. I came to tell you today, all it takes is one encounter from God. One encounter from Jesus to change everything in your life. My first point for you this morning is this. That God desires for you to have an encounter with him. God desires for you to have an encounter with him. For the Apostle Paul, that encounter came in the form of a bright light that appeared to him, knocked him to the ground, and blinded him as he heard the voice of Jesus. And the Bible says that he was blind for three days. What an interesting conversion, right? I was thinking to myself, like, three days and, like, you know, he's blind and everything. Like, what, what, what's up with all that? Like, imagine meeting someone. He's like, hey, how did you come to know Jesus? Like, well, you know, I was blind one day. I was, dri- I was driving to the grocery store, and boom, you know, I was blind. And it's like, now I'm here living for Jesus. I'm like, you're serving that God? Like, you know what I mean? But the Bible doesn't give an explanation as to why God made the apostle Paul blind. But maybe it was to show Paul God's power and authority over his life in order to humble him. And maybe God knew that the only way for his spiritual eyes to be open was for his physical eyes to be closed. Because even though the Apostle Paul was blind physically, in that moment, he could see clearer than ever before. And maybe he needed those three days to reflect back on his life, choices, and decisions, and reflect on Jesus Christ being the Messiah. And the same should be said about us. Every encounter that you and I have with God should always help us see Jesus Christ more clearly in our lives. And I want to tell someone, don't be mistaken. There are people all over the planet and all over the globe and all over the earth that are still encountering Jesus Christ today. In fact, I want to share something with you real quick that, was, that intrigued me. As I was studying and preparing, did you know that today there are a record number of Muslims converting to Christianity due to them having dreams and visions where Jesus Christ appears to them? You can do your own research and homework on this if you want yourself. But they're having dreams of Jesus. Why are they having dreams of Jesus? Because their Bible, the Quran, teaches them that the only way that God can communicate and speak to them directly today is in the form of dreams. And get this, this is like a reoccurring account of what takes place during these dreams. Many times, Jesus will appear to them. He reveals himself as the way, the truth, and the life, right? But also, there will be times, many times, where Jesus will tell that person to go to a certain place at a certain time and find and speak to a specific person. The Muslim then follows the instructions of Jesus. They go to that exact place at that exact time, and there's a person waiting there. Then that person 
explains who Jesus Christ truly is and presents the gospel to them, that Muslim then places their faith in Jesus Christ and renounces Islam. You may be saying to yourself, Caleb, that's impossible. Consider the apostle Paul. He's on the road to Damascus. Jesus appears to him. Jesus tells him, go to Damascus and wait. He goes to Damascus and wait. Then all of a sudden, Jesus sends Ananias to go to Damascus. He, God uses Ananias to heal uh, the apostle Paul. Then he is able to minister and explain to him the experience that he had and his purpose and his mandate. The apostle Paul is converted and he gets water baptized. All I'm trying to tell you today is our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is still in the business of changing lives. And if you're in this place right now, if you're in this place right now and you're saying to yourself, I've never had an encounter with God before. I've never felt the presence of God. I've heard other people talk about it. I've seen other people experience it, but maybe it's just not for me. I came to tell you today, maybe you're watching online, that God is still moving today. He is still touching hearts today. He is still delivering people today. I'm telling you that right now. James chapter 4 tells us that when you draw near to God, that he will draw near to you. Your God does not want to be known as a distant entity. Your God wants to be known as a personal savior. He wants you to have an encounter with him. Is there any people in the building who have ever had an encounter with God? You found yourself in the lowest place. You found yourself in the mud of life. You you thought there was no hope for you. You had suicidal thoughts. You had depression. You were full of anxiety. You were full of fear. But one time you came to church. One time you bowed your knee. And then all of a sudden, the spirit of God came and touched you, delivered you, set you free. Come on, is there anybody in this place? Go ahead and give them five seconds of praise. Thank you, Jesus. I feel his spirit. I feel his presence. I don't know who I'm talking to right now, and I can share with you right now story after story. If I just had the time to sit down with you, experience after experience, encounter after encounter, undeniable ones that I've had with the presence of God in my life. But here's what's even more powerful to me. When I see someone who is an atheist, agnostic, they don't know what to believe, have an encounter with God. It happens a lot. Let me share with you a story real quick. Is this okay with you guys? There was a time where I was in class, and there was an atheist that was in that classroom with me. And they knew my faith, they knew my beliefs, they knew my values. They didn't agree with it. But not only did they not agree with it, but they despised me for it. They sat right behind me, and this happened for months. They would make fun of me, mock me, and bash the name of Jesus. And I decided not to respond out of anger, not to respond out of spite. And I tried to have philosophical discussions and give them evidence for the existence of, you know, God and when it comes to, you know, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But none of that was getting through to them. I tried to give them a reason for the, for the hope that I had, right, like we're told in Scripture. It wasn't getting through to them. But then that scripture came online where it says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those that persecute you and despitefully use you. So I said, okay, God, I'm going to be obedient to your word. I'm going to pray for this person every single day and every single night before bed. So I decided every night during my prayer time to, to call out their name and say, God, you see exactly where they're at. You know exactly what they're going through. And I pray that you would just touch them and you would just make a way. You would give them opportunity. And I would pray night after night. And there was one night. Me and my mom were in our living room together, and we're watching a movie, and I felt this prompting, this this urge, this drawing to go to my prayer closet and pray for this specific individual. We paused the movie. I said, Mom, I got to go. 
be obedient if God ever puts somebody on your heart at a certain time. Maybe God wakes you up in the night. So I went to my room, I prayed, and I began to cry out to God, and I felt this heaviness. I felt this presence. I go to school the next day. When I go to school, that person walks in, and they carried a different demeanor about them. There was something different about them. And they came and sat down. I'm sorry if I cry. I mean, I'm not sorry. I just, I, this is just emotional, man. Because I've lived it. I've experienced it. They sat down behind me. And when they sat down behind me, they put their head on their desk. And they begin to sob and cry. And I turned around and I said, hey, what's going on? Is everything good? Anything you need? Anything you want to talk about? And they said that last night, they were at home and their parents were arguing. There were things taking place. And they fled and went to the room by themselves. And they felt all these negative emotions. They felt this depression. They felt this heaviness. And they didn't know what to do. But then they said, all of a sudden, a presence swept into the room. An atheist. And they said, I felt it all over my body. I felt it in my heart. And the only way I can describe it, Caleb, is it felt like love. And immediately... The God that you believe came to my mind. And I knew that I had to come to class today and ask you to explain what I experienced. And in that exact moment, I was able to explain to them how that love that they felt was the presence and love of God. And I was able to present the gospel to them. Able to present the gospel to them. And you know what they said to me? They responded by saying, Caleb, I want to believe in that same Jesus that you believe in. Come on, somebody. Oh, I came to tell you today. I don't care how far some people may be from God, the least likely people. Who would have ever thought that out of anybody having an encounter with God, it would be the Apostle Paul? Who would have thought that God would have turned his life around, the one who was killing and persecuting Christians, seeing them burnt at the stake, being fed to lions, being hung up and crucified, and God said, that's the one I want to use right there. I'm going to have an, he doesn't know it. He thinks he's on the way to Damascus to go and kill more Christians, but man, I'm telling you right now, I have something bigger for him. His heart may be in the right place in his mind. He may think he's doing the will of God, but I have to show him the right way. The right way. The right way. Thank you, Jesus. If Paul had an encounter with God, anybody can have an encounter with God. But let me listen to me. There should always be something. And here's the thing, too. I'm not saying that an encounter of God is you on the ground, shaking, baking, and, like, speaking in tongues. I'm not saying sometimes an encounter with God is that peace, that love, that soft touch from a gentle, heavenly father where he tells you everything's going to be okay. We're in the hospital room of a loved one that's dying and passing away, taking their last breath, and all of a sudden the peace and love of God comes and sweeps into the room, and he touches you. And you're saying, God, thank you for touching me. Thank you for encountering me. But there should always be something. Listen to me. There should always be something that follows after an encounter from God in order to bring true, long-lasting change in your life. And that is hunger, desperation, and humility. Second point for you this morning is that change occurs from the desperation after the encounter. Change occurs from the desperation after the encounter. Let me unpack it for you. Notice the Apostle Paul, after he had an encounter with God, 
he became desperate for more. And did you know it's, it's very possible to have encounters with God and afterward live as if nothing even happened or nothing even took place. And sadly, this happens all too often in our world and in the body of Christ. Maybe there was someone that you knew that they had an encounter. They, they felt the love of God. They felt the Holy Spirit. And then afterwards, they go back to their old ways. Nothing in them truly changes. Even in the Bible, we see this with another Saul. Get this. There's another Saul in the Bible who had another powerful encounter with God in the Old Testament by the name of King Saul. And King Saul, you can read this in the book of 1 Samuel, he finds himself in a very similar position as Saul from Tarshish in the New Testament. He's actually on the way to go and kill David because he's jealous and envious of David because people are singing more praises about David than they are about him. And Saul's heart was in the wrong place. And God sent David to come and be a replacement for him. And it says that Saul was on the way to go capture and kill David. And while he's on the way to go and try to kill David, it says that the Spirit of God fell on him so heavily where he got knocked down to the ground. He stripped off his clothing, it says. And it says that he sat there and he laid there prostrate all day, all night prophesying. Because you'll find out if you read the story, not only did he have a kingly anointing, he also had a prophetic anointing. He had an undeniable encounter with God. But get this. After the spirit lifted off, it says he got up and he continued to do what he had intended in his mind to do. Full of pride. He had an undeniable, but yet he got up and nothing changed. So the Saul in the Old Testament, he got up after having an encounter. He became an apostate. Someone who denounced their religion, their, their faith, the beliefs, the, moral, the morals, the convictions that God put on him. But then Saul in the New Testament, when he got up after having, having an encounter, he became an apostle. Two Saul's, two experiences. One got up, changed his life, became desperate. The other one fell to the wayside. So get this. It's not an encounter with God that really changes you. What really changes your heart and soul is that desperation and hunger and thirst that you have after an encounter with God. Let us be like the Apostle Paul who found himself on the Damascus Road and he had an encounter with Jesus. And we say, Jesus, whatever it is you want me to do, whatever it is you want me to say, wherever it is you want me to go, I'm going to do it because I'm hungry and desperate for more of your presence. I'm desperate. I can't deny it any longer. I'm not going to treat church cat. I'm not going to take you for granted, God. I want to be hungry and desperate more than ever before. I don't care if I'm 60 and I have so many Bible verses memorized and I can quote all the scripture or if, I'm my, or if I'm in my early 20s and I'm pursuing this college and this career, God. No, I need you more than ever. I can't even walk without you holding my hand, God. I need your presence. Thank you, Jesus. Change occurs from after the encounter. Haley, you can come up as we get ready to close. And here's why we must become desperate, y'all. We have to become desperate because we have to realize that God has more in store for us. God has more in store for you. And encountering God isn't a one and done ordeal. God wants you to experience him, get this, day by day. 
When you read the book of Acts and you continue to read the story of the Apostle Paul, you'll find out that that one encounter that he had with God on the Damascus Road was only just one out of so many encounters the Apostle Paul would have in his life. Continue to read Acts chapter 22. He describes a moment when he's in the temple in Jerusalem after he had an encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road. He goes into the temple and he prays. And when he's praying, he sees a vision of Jesus. Then in Acts chapter 23, he describes a vision that he has with Jesus while he's in prison. The Apostle Paul knew how to do this. You ready? If you want to encounter God, he knew how to pray. He knew how to be desperate. He knew how to humble himself. Because the Bible says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He prayed in the spirit more than anybody else. He said, he said I thank God I pray in the spirit more than the rest of you. He knew how to have an encounter with God. And here's why and how he had an encounter with God. Because he was desperate for more of God. We have to be desperate and hungry for more of God. When we get to a place, say, God, I've tried these things in the world. I've tried to feed my flesh. Drugs couldn't do it. Alcohol couldn't do it. Sex couldn't do it. Pornography couldn't do it. Everything I tried to fill in my soul, God, I felt more empty afterwards. I can't do this anymore, God. I need you. We need to come to God desperate, broken, and hungry. Say, God, I want more of you. Because you have a universe-sized hole in your soul. And the only person that can fill that void in your life is Jesus Christ. You can have an encounter with Come on, everybody stand to your feet this morning. Have you been blessed by this morning? I pray so. I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, those who hunger and thirst after me shall be filled. God desires for you to have an encounter with him. But the question is this, what will you do after the encounter? Will you be more desperate and hungry than you were beforehand? Because that's how God brings about the change. It's not just about the justification. It's about the sanctification, becoming more like Jesus Christ, being made more into his image. I'm reminded of the woman of the issue in blood found in one of the gospels. You remember that story? There's this woman who was like, she had this disease. She had this illness. Like she had this issue with her blood. And it says that she spent all of her money. She spent all of her resources trying to find a cure. She gave it to all the doctors and everything. And she was trying to find healing. But then she hears about this Jesus who has cast out demons, opened up blind eyes, opened up deaf ears, healed the lame and the leper. He's walking through. And he's walking around a crowd of people. And this lady with the woman issue of blood, she says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. She was so desperate. She said, I can receive healing. She makes her way, can you imagine, through the crowd of people. All these people who are probably shrugging and bumping shoulders with Jesus. She touches the hem of his garment. Jesus turns around, he's looking around, he said, who touched me? Who touched me? Somebody just touched me. The disciples are saying, Jesus, Lord, what are you talking about? Don't you see all these people that are around? He said, no, it wasn't a dull touch. It was a desperate touch. Because whenever somebody touched me, I felt power, healing power, leave from my body. I wonder if we can be like the crowd of people sometimes in life where we come to church, we, we go to different events, we go to these, we spend time in our prayer closet, but yet it's a dull touch. And we haven't become desperate or hungry enough. And sometimes that's why God allows certain trials and circumstances and tribulations in your life to make you realize, to humble you. 
and make you as you need me. Here's my closing thought for you this morning. You need a fresh encounter with God every day. You know it's possible to feel the presence of God every day. To feel just that, that hand, that, that warmth, that comfort. The Bible says, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, whatever provision, whatever it is I need in this moment, God, I, I'm going to put you first. I'm going to trust that you're going to supply and meet these needs. You can feel God's presence when you wake up in the morning, when you put him first, before you go to bed, when you're in your car. You know, earlier this week, I was with my boss, and we were driving down the road, and we got stopped at a red light, and there was this lady right next to us, and she was going at it, y'all. She was in the car, like, you know, and I, everything, and I knew that, like, she knew that you know, I was there looking, and I told my boss, look at this, man. This, this girl's awesome. Like, she's just getting it right now. She don't care. But then it hit me. I saw her hands raised. I saw that demeanor and that look, and I said, she's not just listening to worldly music. She's worshiping God, and she's receiving a touch from God right in that car. Can I tell you, you can encounter God anywhere at any time. And do you want to know why many of us aren't encountering God like we need to every day? Because we don't take the time to sit, wait, and worship and be desperate enough. Sometimes we will wait longer in the Chick-fil-A parking lot waiting for our food to be delivered by the curbside service, which I'm thankful for all those anointed people that bring me this stuff. They say, my pleasure. I'm thank you, my pleasure. Thank you, my pleasure. My pleasure. You know, I'm thankful for those people, but we will spend more time in that parking lot at times waiting for food rather than in our prayer closet worshiping, waiting for a touch from God because the Bible says that those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Your weight will determine your worth. God desires for you to have an encounter with him. We have to be desperate. We have to be hungry. We have to be able to get in positions at times where we get on our knees, we humble our hearts, and say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I desire you. Jesus, I want you. Jesus, you plus nothing equals everything. Can we go ahead and worship God before we go? God wants to touch some of you right now. Come on, right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, right now, touch your people. Touch you right now. In Jesus' name, touch them, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We want to encounter you, God. Come on, I feel his presence. I feel his presence. like somebody was in their living room right now and you you felt like you've been so numb to the presence of God you've been living in sin and you were sitting there and you're saying God I haven't felt you in so long but during that worship song I believe the presence of God just swept into that room and touched you right now I don't know who I'm talking to but man I'm telling you right now God wants you to have an encounter with him it's it's really the, the anointing the anointing is not about hype and volume 
or numbers. Because we can be quiet in this moment. There can be no music playing. We don't have to have these lights. But if you give me a room of people that are desperate and hungry and humble themselves, the Spirit of God will begin to flow and touch lives. Don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. God sees exactly where you're at. He loves you so much. Before we go, I want to give somebody an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You haven't accepted the free gift of salvation. You haven't taken that first step. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead, that you shall be saved. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray over every person right now. Come on, repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for all of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died, and that you rose. I love you, Jesus. Amen. Right now, here's the weekly challenge. I don't want to forget to give it to you guys. Here's the weekly challenge. And if you said that prayer, congratulations. Come on, put our hands together for them. Go to the Connect Center. Go to that video. It's going to be a video playing after this stream. We want to hear about it. We want to equip you with resources. My weekly challenge for you is this. Pray for someone who is far from God to have an encounter with him. And I believe that we're going to have some incredible testimonies and stories come out of this weekly challenge right here. I want you to think of the person that you could never imagine stepping foot through these doors that if they walk through, you think they catch fire. I want you to think of like someone who seems so far from God and have enough faith that God can touch them right where they are. Because you know the Bible says that it's not God's desire for anyone to perish, but that all should come to repentance. So that person that you just thought of right now, God desires to see them saved more than you desire to see them saved. But the question is this, what's going to happen after that encounter, after that moment, after that crossroads, after the road to Damascus moment? And guess what the best thing you can do, church? You lead by example. That doesn't mean that we're perfect. That doesn't mean we have it all together because we make mistakes. You know the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart? It didn't say he had God's heart. It wasn't talking about perfection. It was talking about pursuit. Because even though he committed adultery, and because even though he murdered, there was a time in David's life where he said, Lord, take not your presence from me. You can take everything else, God. Take my money. Take my riches. Take my fame. Take everything. But God, don't take your presence from me. I'm hungry and I'm desperate for you as the deer panted for the water. So my soul, oh God, hungers and thirsts after you. Before we go, I want to pray over someone that needs that hunger and that desire to come back or you haven't had that account. I want to pray over you before we go and I hand the service over. Lord Jesus, right now, I pray over every person right now, Jesus, no matter where they may be, may be at and their walk with God and their faith right now, Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that you're lifting up heavy hearts. God, that you're changing lives, you're changing souls right now, Jesus. I thank you for a desire and hunger, God. Do what only you can do, God. We submit ourselves, we surrender to you, God. We love you so much. And I thank you, Lord, that you're going to put the right people in our hearts. Right now, we pray over every person that, come, that came to our mind that's so far from you. We thank you, Lord, for them having an encounter with you, Jesus, with your spirit. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I love you guys. Thank you all for listening. Come on. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. 
For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.